If you have a copy of God's Word, I'll invite you to open it to the first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 45. If, if you don't, certainly listen along well. This is not an unfamiliar text to us. As not too long ago, we walked through Genesis. But Genesis chapter 45, beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading verses 1 through 15. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land and for the next five years there will be no plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin that it is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honor accorded me in Egypt and about everything you have seen And bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin embraced him weeping. And he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And afterward his brothers talked with him. Thanks be to God for the reading of his word. Dr. Smith, come and share with us. Shall we pray? Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you so much, Pastor Jones. I uh, esteem him very highly, love him very much, and are grateful for the marriage that exists between Pastor Jones and the Meadowbrook Church. I'm also grateful for my dear, dear friends uh, in the person of Rob, and uh, I call him minister, but uh, I'll just uh, uh, from Rob and Melissa Matthews, my chauffeur for tonight. I want to talk about the forgiveness factor, the forgiveness factor for the next uh, 18 minutes. Uh, The greatest obstacle to the knowledge of the Bible is the knowledge of the Bible. What keeps people from knowing more about the Bible is what they think they already know about the Bible. Therefore, when we revisit a passage that is familiar, we fail to understand that God can draw the magnificent out of the mundane and the stupendous out of the simple and bring us something that's unfamiliar out of the familiar. And I hope that this will take place tonight. I hope that each of us will crawl up into the cranium of God and stay there long enough 
until God gives us something fresh out of a book and out of a chapter and a story that we think that we already know. I hope that you will assume a posture of second naivete and be a child again and say to God, tell me the story again. Sing it over again to me. Wonderful words of life. Let me more of their beauty see. Wonderful words of life. Words of life and beauty. Teach me faith and duty. Beautiful words. Wonderful words. Wonderful words of life. I want to contend that God enables us to forgive through the power of the spirit of the one who is greater than Joseph. God enables us to forgive through the power of the spirit of the one who is greater than Joseph. Verse number one, there is eviction. Joseph is face to face with his brothers and they don't know that he is Joseph, the vice regent of Egypt. And he takes and puts out all of those other than his brothers so that he can have private time with his brothers. He wanted only the individuals who would be principally and centrally interested in reconciliation. That's huge. You remember back in Mark chapter 5 verse 40, Jesus has come to Jairus' house who is the ruler of the synagogue. And Jesus says, why all of this commotion? People are laughing. He said, she's not dead. And they laughed. And he put them out, the Bible says in Mark 5 verse 4. He put them out. When it comes to any kind of reconciliation, there must be involved in it people who are serious not people who just stand by, people who are just casually interested because it's going to be a heavy cost involved. So therefore, we must have individuals who are single-minded and who are concentrated and consecrated upon the task of reconciliation. So first of all, there has to be some eviction. Some folk have to be put out and you can't involve yourself with individuals who are only halfway committed. It has to be an individual or individuals who are totally committed to this cause that grips the heart of God, reconciliation. Second Corinthians 5.19, God has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. So it is not our thing at all. This is God's thing. Second of all, not only eviction, but eruption. Eruption, verse number two. Notice when Joseph comes in the presence of his brothers and he sees them and he has put out all of the Egyptians, he starts weeping. It's an uncontainable weeping. It's uncontrollable because he's consumed by this matter of being reconciled to ones that he loved and has not seen for a long time. It's not just an intellectual thing. Uh, it's affective. It's emotional. It's something he feels. He's made the longest journey, 18 inches from head to heart, so that the sprinkler system of his eyes have been turned on because his heart is involved in it. There is an eruption 
there's an outpouring of emotion. Three, obviously I'm walking through this. Three, there was this, this whole matter in verse number three of redemption. And this whole matter where God uses Joseph and gives him a, a revelation to reveal to his brothers. It's been a long time. What does he say? Verse three, I am Joseph. Now, that's good. It's not good enough. I've, I've given you my name. Hmm. But they remember Joseph and they remember him at a time in which they have defrauded, betrayed, deceived, and hurt him. They don't know whether or not he's going to be open to reconciliation. He has just announced his name, Joseph. His nomenclature and title, they are obvious. He is the vice regent of the most mighty nation on earth. And so therefore, there's a revelation. I am Joseph. Verse 4, the location. Come near me. Too much distance, not only chronologically, but spatially. Come near me. Reconciliation can never take place. I'm not here talking about black, white, brown, yellow, and red. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about reconciliation. You put a face on it. You put a relationship on it. Uh-uh-uh. There has to be the bridging of the gap. When you read Acts chapter 8, here is this black Ethiopian uh, eunuch who is on his way from the Pentecostal revival in Jerusalem back to the Ethiopia, which is Nubia or Cush, beginning with verse 26. And here is this olive-skinned Jew by the name of Philip. And Philip is talking to this Ethiopian who happens to be riding, and Philip the preacher is walking. And Philip asked him, do you understand what you're reading? How can I accept someone God may teach me? And the Ethiopian eunuch invited him to come near him and sit next to him in the chariot. Because you can't have reconciliation when someone is walking and someone is riding. Because Philip was invited to come up to sit next to the Ethiopian, they sat together. Now they're able to go into the baptismal waters together. And they come up together. But it all started with sitting together. Clarence Jordan, who was the director of Cornelia Farms in America's Georgia, at a time in the 50s when the Ku Klux Klan uh, opposed blacks, whites, Hispanics, Asians, working together uh, in Christian communism so that no one had anything in terms of lacking. They worked together, they lived together, they shared together. Uh, Clarence Jordan in his Cotton Patch Virgin, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 19, God was in Christ reconciling the world back to himself, takes and paraphrases that and says, God was in Christ hugging the world back to himself. Now, this is not reconciliation. It's a nice handshake. I'll tell you what reconciliation looks like. This is what reconciliation looks like. Because Chris is getting something, getting himself on me, and I'm getting myself on him, and there's no space between us. We are, in fact, 
hugging each other. In fact, when God made you, he made you differently than he made anything in creation. Everything in creation, he just spoke into existence. But when he got ready to make you, he got down and started putting himself in you. And he, from the dust of the earth, made you so that you have some of God in yourself. It's called the Imago Dei, the image of God. God is in you. Mm. And therefore, reconciliation is a matter of us intermingling, bridging the gap, and becoming a part of one another. Uh, Verse number four. There's this whole idea of clarification. Now, he's already revealed himself. I am Joseph. That's not good enough. I am your brother. Oh, that's it there. I know what you did to me these number of years ago. I know you sold me into slavery. I know that you planned my death. And I know you know my name, but that's not good enough. I am your brother. In spite of what you've done to me, in spite of the years that have passed, I am your brother. Until I can say, and you can say, I'm your brother, you're my sister. We'll never experience reconciliation. I'm not talking about racial. I'm talking about reconciliation. Whatever that may be. Because the relationship that we have, in fact, let me just say this. um, Racism is not a a skin problem. It's a sin problem. And it's a sin problem with everyone. When God starts working in the heart of people, then um, my brother Rob and my sister Melissa uh, relate to Robert Smith and Robert Smith relates to them uh, in a way that's deeper than the epidermis. Deeper than skin because God is working on the inside and we are a Polaroid snapshot or a Kodak moment of the future state of eternity. Because in eternity, the Bible teaches us in Revelation 5, 9, and 79, people from every tribe, nation, kindred, and tongue will be there. So if that's the way it's going to be in the eschaton in the future, I think I better get into redemptive rhythm with what is going to be for more than 70 years. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. So clarification. Uh, But there's also confession. Verse 4 and 5. You sold me into slavery. You sold me into Egypt. Don't listen to people who tell you that forgiveness means to forget and to forgive. You don't forget. But you don't keep watching the DVDs at midnight and watching them over and over again reviewing what people have done to you. And some of the people that um, have done these things to us and we're watching these tapes uh, at midnight regularly and getting heart palpitations and high blood pressures and bleeding ulcers. Some of these folk are dead. And these folk are not even thinking about you and me. We can't sleep and they're snoring. No. But we admit, yes, you hurt me. Yes, you defrauded me. Mm. But God enables us to forgive through the power of the spirit of the one who is greater than Joseph. Because forgiveness is not difficult. It's just impossible 
without God. But then there's another. In verse 7 and verse number 8, there is this matter of direction. God sent me to Egypt. What? Don't be angry at yourself. You didn't understand that God has a way of recycling evil. God has a way of redirecting the course of your life. Had it not been for the fact that you so been into slavery, when this famine would have come, I would not have had a chance to address Pharaoh and tell him, look, you're going to have seven years of a bumper crop and then seven years of famine. So that during the seven years of harvest, save some of the grain. So that when the seven years of famine come, that then your people will have a place to come to get food. Which has also provided a resource center for my brothers to come. Because if my brothers who were affected also by the famine... If there was no grain in Egypt, they would have died, which meant then Judah, the fourth son, would have died. And if there was no Judah, then there would not be a Boaz. If there was no Boaz, there would not be an Obed. If there was no Obed, there would not be a Jesse. If there was not a Jesse, there wouldn't be a David. If there was no David, there historically would not have been a Jesus. And since God is sovereign in history, he has a way of turning our ashes into beauty and our sorrow into joy and turning our midnights into day. So here's a situation in which Joseph says, God sent me here. Verses 7 and 8. Verse number 7. Joseph says this. God sent me here. Uh, Therefore, understand that it is God who is directing the course of history and the course of our lives. It is his providence. It is his divine superintending care that has all of this together. Let me say the last few things and I believe in time, but the Chris knows that. Uh, I'm surprised you don't have your two minute thing down, but I've got your watch. I've got five minutes. Look at verse number Three, nine, and 13. Glorification. All of this is about the father. The first question that Joseph asks when he says, I am Joseph, he asked his brothers, is my father still alive? Verse number nine, he talks about my father. Verse 13. He talks about my father because reconciliation is a matter that will give glory to his father. No parent wants to see his or her children estranged. So to be able to please the father was the first thing on Joseph's agenda. I want you to know that reconciliation between us as brothers and sisters, Asians, blacks, whites, reds, browns, Baptists, Methodists, Catholics, etc. is something that pleases God. The prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, 2,000 years ago, has never been fully answered. Father, make them one, even as we are one. And God has invested us with the power to bring that 
to pass. And therefore, Joseph's great concern was, my father, how will this glorify my father? How will this please my father? Now that I know that he's alive, I must do what I know he would want me to do, to bring the family together. But then the last thing I want you to see is verses 14 and 15. Uh, this is a matter of celebration. But it takes something. Joseph initiates it. He sees his youngest brother, the 12th son, Benjamin, son of my right hand. He weeps. And he, and Benjamin weeps. And he embraces Benjamin. Because you can't do reconciliation from the neck up. You've got to do it from the head down. And some of us, of course, can be very unemotional and be very uh, big-headed. And then some of us uh, can be individuals and not have any hearts at all. This is a cranial and cardiological marriage. It's head and heart. And it has nothing to do with your gender, whether you're male or female. Joseph is a male, but he opens up this teaching paragraph weeping. He closes it with weeping. Am I too much of a man not to weep? And this has touched him. This is his brother, born even as their very mother was dying, uh, Benjamin. But he goes further in verses 14 and 15. The Bible says that he kisses all of his brothers, even Judah. Hmm. Who was the mastermind behind this plan of selling him? He kisses all of them. And there was a sense of celebration. He kisses them. He involves himself in saying to them, I want us to be one as our father would want us to be one. Now, Bishop Archbishop Desmond Tutu of um, Johannesburg, South Africa, has written a book titled, no future without forgiveness. No future without forgiveness. In which he says, forgiveness takes the sting out of memory. The sting out of memory. My mother's 93 years of age. She broke a bone 75 years ago. She's the best meteorologist I've ever, ever known. She can tell you that it is going to rain tomorrow. It's going whatever, whatever. She can do that. The bone has been mended, but there's still... This throb. I know what it's like to feel the throb. You know that my son of 34 years of age was murdered while working at his store six years ago. The sting is gone, but the throb remains. I still communicate with the young man who took his life. The sting is gone, but the throb remains. And uh, I'm hopeful that if I'm alive, that this boy who wants to go to some seminary and prepare for what he senses God is calling him to, I hope that I'll be able to see that. But I hope ultimately one day that he'll bow down next to Tony around the throne of the God who forgives every sing single one of us uh, because uh, forgiveness takes the sting out of memory. I think we start too far away trying to uh, execute uh, uh, reconciliation. It's got to start in my home. You 
can't forgive me, your black brother. If you hadn't taken care of things in your own home, sisters and brothers are strange. Husbands and wives are strange. People who look like you are strange in your own home. That's your Jerusalem. That's where it's got to start. It's got to start in your church. We're not ready. I'm not ready for ministry of reconciliation until I can, in my church, take off these um, chips that I've had on my shoulder all these years. And here, I come through that door and another person uh, is coming down that aisle and I know I'm, I'm supposed to sit here. But because when I see this person come here, my blood pressure goes up and I don't want to sit there because that individual sitting there. How can I affect reconciliation when I can't even be in a state of oneness with the people in my own church, on my own job where I have to spend 30 and 40 years and I can't have a sense of oneness with someone on the assembly line or someone who works in my unit. It starts in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the utmost parts of the earth. And may I say this as I uh, make my final statements. Reconciliation will never take place on this earth unless it is led by Christians. You can't legislate it. You can't make a law. We are known by our love. It's how we love each other. And people see how we love each other. It becomes infectious and contagious. And people want to know, how can I get that kind of power? And it only comes to the God who enables us to forgive through the power of the spirit of the one who is greater than Joseph. And one of these days, one of these days we'll stand on the heavenly shore and wring the blue waters of tribulation from the hem of our garments. And brothers and sisters who are redeemed by the blood of the lamb will worship the one who died for us, not when we were good people, but when we were still sinners. Christ died for the ungodly and forgave us of willful sins, of sins that had been planned and premeditated and yet has forgiven us. Oh, may we say my sins, oh, the, oh my sins, oh, the grief of that, that bleak, the thought of that wondrous thought. My sins, the bliss of that wondrous thought. My sins, not in part, but the whole is nailed to the cross and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The God who enables us to forgive does it through the power of the spirit of the one who is greater than Joseph.